0: If you're not hearing the voice of God. Together, there is nothing that we can't do. I really believe that God has given us a sacred trust. and force together from this place Good. This this is awesome. so, yeah.
1: hey fourth service how we doing tonight hey on the count of three I want everyone to tell me what you did this afternoon one two three got it that sounds awesome it's cold out there right Yeah, it's cold. Well, welcome to Kensington, guys. If you've been here for 10 years or maybe this is your first time tonight, my name's Chris. just want to welcome you on behalf of our team, but we're so glad you've joined us. Hey, while you're walking in, you may have noticed a trailer for an event that's happening this Friday and Saturday at our Troy campus. It is our biannual leadership gathering. Such a powerful event. Maybe you lead a family. Maybe you lead a ministry. Maybe you lead a small group. Maybe you're saying, Chris, I don't lead any of those things, but there is one person you do lead, and that's yourself. And so this event is for everybody. We really invite you to to join us this Friday night at the Troy campus, 6 p.m. Going to be two great sessions with awesome speakers. Saturday morning, we have custom-tailored breakout sessions that can really bolster your personal leadership. So if you'd like to register, I encourage you to do so. Go to kensingtonchurch.org lead. You can do it right now from your mobile device. Register, and I really hope we'll see you Friday night at the Troy campus. Well, another thing we're really passionate about at Kensington is making sure people have an opportunity to find connection to other people, to other like-minded people. That's real important to me. I trust that's really important to you because, you know, guys, we can't do this thing called life alone, Right. So that's why I want to invite my friend Shar up. She's going to talk to us about the groups that we have going on here at Oregon. Hi, Shar. How
2: you doing? Good. Good evening. Thanks for coming out on this cold, cold night. Um, well, yeah, we really believe that uh, we want Kensington to feel like family to you. And the way to yeah, do that right. is to jump into a smaller group. So if you haven't tried that yet, now is the time. It's uh, January, all the groups are kicking off within the next week or two, and if you look on the back of your program today, you can see how we've sort of organized the groups because there are so many for you that but we wanted to kind of organize it into the community groups, the courses, like I talked about Alpha last week, and then the care groups. For those yeah. of you who know, you need some healing, and we're talking about some of those issues in That's these good. services, yeah. so we have groups for you there. So. Don't leave today without stopping in the lobby, asking some questions. Find out which group is a good fit for you. Don't let this week pass by. You can just try something. You can also go to the website KensingtonChurch.org/groups, and you can search Orient Groups. Find the one that works for you. But we—if if I see you out there, I'll probably stop, say hi, and say, "What group are you in?" And if you're not in one, I'll find one for you. That's
1: so. good. Thank you so much, Shar. Guys, just to echo what Shar just said, you know, I don't believe we can go at this thing called life alone. I really believe that deep within us is this this deep-seated need for connection, for belonging, to be seen and to be known. And that is exactly why we believe that groups are exactly what we need to be the people that God's called us to be ultimately. So we hope you join. But anyway, right now I'd invite you to stand up, say hi to the person next to you, tell them how you thought out today. We'll talk to you in just a minute.
3: Sunday night crowd. This is, I said last week, I said every Sunday night is the loudest crowd. It's like you guys came in from a party or you want to make this a party. Am I right? Yeah, something like that. Well, uh, you know, before we sort of turn where we're headed uh, tonight, I want to start with this. Um, Let me see if you know who said this quote. There's, There's a pretty famous quote that goes like this, injustice anywhere is a threat to justice everywhere. Injustice anywhere is a threat to justice everywhere. It's the person that we take a day tomorrow to celebrate, Martin Luther King, said that in a letter uh, called the—it's a very famous letter from the Birmingham jail when he was put in jail for standing up against injustice in our country. Some of you know that. And tomorrow's a day we set apart to say to honor a man that stood up for incredible injustice. And uh, if I would uh, have—anyway, I would just say this. Take some time tomorrow and read that letter. You can Google it on the internet, letter from a Birmingham jail. Read that letter. It's nine pages. It'll take you a few minutes. And I'm telling you, it's it's profound, especially in the kind of year we've just had in this country and injustice and in our world. And it's, uh, it's, it's, it's right to take a day to honor a man that has changed the way justice happens in our country and in the world. And I just want to pray for a second. And and I'm hoping that you will do the same thing I'm going to do tomorrow. Wake up. The first thing I'm going to do, I was going to read that again. I've read it uh, many times over the years, but uh, just reading bits of it today, it hit me again uh, that we do need to honor this day and often don't think about it. So I'm going to pray and then I'm going to take us where we're headed tonight. Father God, thank you for men like Martin Luther King who stood up when it wasn't popular, when it wasn't Uh, Considered even right, even for many church people, to do what he did and and uh, to stand up for justice for people that have been treated wrongly, and that kind of injustice still happens. And when it happens anywhere, it is a threat to justice everywhere. He was right, and so let us, as the church, as people who claim to honor you with our lives, may we honor others with our lives as well. May, May we treat every single person regardless of race or or gender or any different than us. May we treat every person as made because they are in your image and honor them with dignity because they are your child. Help us to do that today, tomorrow, and every day. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, how about this? We're going to shift from that to alcohol. <laughs> You can laugh. That's, that's a big shift. Uh, we're in our second week of Crave, and Crave is, uh, the subtitle is, uh, I just can't say no to, anybody remember last week? Last week was week one. I just can't say no to your approval. Like, I, I, I got to have your approval. So after the service, I want you to come up to me because I long for your approval and tell me you really like my hairstyle. Okay, just tell me that. That makes me feel good. I did a lot with it today. What do you think? Oh, it's not there. Okay, nothing's happening up there. Okay, that was last week. Today is a pretty heavy one. We're, we're, we're talking about I just can't say no to the bottle. And, and I, and I want to say this. Every time you hear me say the bottle, it isn't just alcohol today. It's alcohol. It's substance. I mean, I don't know if you know, back in October, our president declared a national crisis in the United States over opiates. And marijuana use, I mean, not just marijuana, any substance, heroin use in our country is a national crisis that we are still actually in. And so it isn't just alcohol. It's any kind of substance that we go to that we can't say no to or we know somebody that impacts us that is a big part of this. And we thought one of the ways to start this day would be this. There was an album came out in 2008. Some of you uh, uh, heard the album is by a singer named Pink and her album was called Fun House. You know the album? Most of the album is fun songs about partying. And then there's this really unique song in the middle of it that she herself wrote called Sober. And when you ask her why she wrote it, she said this. The whole song basically says, I wanted to know if it was possible to feel the way I feel drunk when I'm sober. Is it possible to feel that good without having a drink? And she wrote a very serious song about it. So we thought, let's start there. So listen to this.
4: Cause I won't remember.
0: Thirty-two years of faithful service, and all comes down to this: some lousy health report. <sighs> Thirty-two years, not one incident. Thirty-two years, I can still fly circles around all those young punks. It says here something about a small heart ailment or something. It's a bunch of garbage. I'm as healthy now today as I was back in 1944 when they hired me into this stupid company. Oh, you know, you think they would treat a World War II vet with a little bit more respect? Yeah, this this is not over. <laughs> Captain Ralph reporting for duty. <laughs> oh, yeah, I don't know how I'm going to break this to Betty. Betty's my wife, second wife actually, but... Tends to be a bit of a worrier, and, uh, well, this isn't going to sit well with her. Heck, it doesn't sit well with me. But if this is true, which it's not, but if it is true, we'll be fine. We'll be fine. See, I was smart enough a few years ago to set up a retirement account with the airlines. At least that's one good thing they did. I also bought some property down in Florida, a little inlet right next to the ocean. So, if we're in any trouble, any financial trouble... I can sell it like that. We'll be fine. Huh. Uh, yeah. Besides, our finances are going to be a little bit better pretty soon. See, my youngest is in uh, college. Um, two, three years left, I can't remember. But, anyways, what that means is uh, no more alimony payments. Can I get an amen to that one? <laughs> Oh, yeah. Hmm. I got four kids, actually. Actually, My first marriage with Denise, a real piece of work that woman was. Anyway, four kids boy, boy, girl, boy. I don't really get a chance to see them very much, especially since the divorce. Um, My ex moved to Ohio to be close to her wonderful family, and uh, I got transferred to Miami. Look, I did the best I could. Yeah, well, here's one thing I can tell you for sure, for darn sure. I gave everything for that family. I I provided a very, very good life for that family. I worked my butt off. When I wasn't flying, I was running my own construction company. Nobody went without. I mean, we had a nice house and a gated community. We had great cars, vacations, Christmases that would make an elf jealous. Oh, of course, Denise would find something to complain about. You know, it's too big, too flashy, you're too harsh, not around enough. Blah, 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 blah. Drove me nuts. Look, I wasn't exactly a saint in the whole thing. I get it, but enough's enough. I mean, when when I was home, I was miserable. I hated it. When I was flying, Oh man, I had the whole world at my fingertips. People respected me, and I had—I had purpose, and I had authority, and I had—well, I had a lot of lady friends as well. What's a guy gonna do? Not proud of it, but how long? is a red blooded American male, supposed to go without being his basic needs met, right? Besides, that's how I met Betty. Yeah, Betty was working the, uh, the counter, the ticket counter. Denise and I got in another big fight, and I was in the airport in Newark on my way to Atlanta. I was walking through the concourse past the ticket counter, and Betty and I, we just we locked eyes just for that incident. It's that, unexplainable connection and she smiled at me oh (laughs) I can still see that smile Hmm. and it was like in an instant just all the anger and the frustration I was feeling just just vanished so I thought to myself man I gotta get to know this girl (laughs) So I did. First, I didn't think I'd have a shot, you know, being that she was uh, 15 years younger than I was, but I didn't matter to Betty. She respected me. Still does. So we got married six years ago, and let's just say this marriage is going a little better than the First knock on wood <laughs> yeah and then the thing is after the marriage I started to see my kids even less you know the older they got the more strange the relationship got and uh, you know, all four of them are all over the country Actually, I haven't been entirely honest with you. I told you I had four kids. I have five., well, had five. I still not sure how to address that, but we had another boy. He's our youngest, and um, about 10 years ago, he um, became ill. get very sick. and um, I really don't like talking about it. Um, besides, I got, I got to get ready. Betty and I are heading out to the club for dinner, and then tomorrow I'm flying up to uh, Indiana, of all places, to go see my youngest. He's, uh, I guess he's doing pretty good in football from what I hear. Probably should have. Yeah, maybe tried to make a game or two, but no sense in dwelling in the past, right? Besides, I gotta write a nice little letter to the bosses. They're gonna get near (sighs) full. I did really well for myself. Real well.
3: Well, I'm guessing some of you uh, have figured out that Captain Ralph is a real person. Real captain with the airlines back in the 40s, 50s, and early 60s. In fact, got a picture of him. This is Captain Ralph back in the day. And if you see any resemblance to me, you'll realize that's my dad, Captain Ralph David. Wilson. And if you've been around Kensington, you've heard bits and pieces of my dad's story, but sorta looks like me, doesn't he? Except for the sideburns. I mean that was that was him back when I was probably five, six years old. That was probably right before the divorce, but this this drink, I don't remember a day of my life that I didn't see my dad with this in his hand. He couldn't say no to the bottle. And because of that, it exploded our family, as many of you know. It just, you know, when I was seven, my mom and dad experienced a divorce. And, you know, it's interesting, last, last week, I don't know if you remember this, but, uh, you know, I said this about this crave, about whatever we crave, whether it's alcohol or anything, really, that we can't say no to. You know I said our cravings will either rule us or we will rule them. Right? They'll either rule us or we'll rule them and this one ruled my dad. It really did. I also said last week if you remember how we handle our craves, our craving will determine the quality and the future of our life and legacy, remember that? How we handle today this will determine. And because my dad couldn't handle this, the family exploded. As you just heard, my mom and I and my little brother Craig moved to Ohio to live near her parents. And guess what? I don't remember a day in my life in Ohio that I didn't see my mom with one of these in her hand. Yeah, I was raised by two alcoholic parents. And so today, this topic is pretty personal for me. And I'm guessing there's a lot of people in this room that either are struggling with this or some substance or something we go to To numb the pain or to bring joy that we can't find anywhere else. Or, here's the other thing, if you're not struggling with it, I'll bet you you know somebody. Somebody you love. In other words, their struggle, just like for me as the sun, has impacted or is impacting you right now. So this is a big day and a big deal. And I want to pray. Because I think today can be the day, the first step for somebody toward toward victory and freedom. So let's pray. Father God, I pray that you would speak today. Not me, not just you. Jesus, we want to hear your voice, your wisdom. We need your power to take steps today to, to freedom, to break in the chains of bondage. And we need your power to do that. So God, would you speak? Would you literally change us? I know it's just one hour and one day in our life, but it can be a moment that's never forgotten as we take a step tonight to the freedom and to the life and the, to the power that you can give us if we choose to take that step. So, Lord Jesus, give us the courage to take that step tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, um, as we as we walk back into this, this topic, I thought, you know, it was really interesting is I, uh, I actually didn't have an idea about this, this drama sketch till Tuesday. We're in a meeting, and we were going to have a live interview with somebody struggling with this. And i was sitting in this meeting, and I said to our arts team, I said, hey, I got this idea. What if we could have an actor sit and act out like my dad's story? And everybody sitting at the table goes, I just got chills in my arms. And so they're like, can you get us the details? Mike Nelson, who, who wrote that and acted it, said, just give me the details and I'll write something up. Well, I didn't know the details. I was five, six, and seven years old when all that was sort of going down. I was just a little kid hearing fights in the home, uh, hearing loud things, because my dad was um, not a happy drunk. He was a mean drunk. You know the difference? I mean, sometimes he was happy, but most of the time he just became angry. And so I remember sort of, you know, yelling in the house before the divorce. And then when I moved to Ohio with my mom, my dad would come visit and it they'd both drink and they'd get physically abusive and loud. And I would literally go in my bedroom. Now I'm 10, 12, 14, 15 and cover my ears. And cause it was like, that's all I remember. So I, 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 text my, one of my older brothers, they're both 10, 11, 12 years older than me. And I, you know, they were teenagers when it all went down. So I said, Hey Rob, can you, can you, Give me some details, just what you remember about dad drinking and the divorce. And he goes, yeah, I, I lived through it. So I don't know if you've ever experienced this, but I got two emails this week from him, and I just read my life story and things I never even knew. It's an eerie feeling to read what blew up your family. Things like, yeah, we all sort of hated Christmas, because we knew that dad bought more gifts for his girlfriend than he did mom. Uh, My brothers both would say we were on the same path he was and so was I. And so when I think of alcohol and the decisions I've had to make because of where I came from, I have a unique perspective that I hope I can help all of us with because like I said, the amazing thing about this, this deal is how we handle, specifically today, alcohol or substance abuse will determine, you know this, but I want to remind you, how you and I decide how to handle whatever craving it is, but specifically today, alcohol or substance abuse, how we handle this will determine, you don't have any option, will determine the quality and the direction, the future of our lives and our legacy. Am I right? Yes. There's no, you can't like. Well, I don't know. That is how it works, and it's interesting how alcohol is in our in our culture. Alcohol's everywhere. Do you realize that it's just part of the culture? Every party, every you know, it's like we we drink to numb our pain. We drink to celebrate victories. We drink to uh, celebrate somebody else's victory. We drink to feel good. We drink to escape. Do I need to keep going? We drink uh, to be somebody that we're not naturally. Am I right? It's like. I, I'm not really that outgoing, but when I drink, I'm so much better. And actually I think I'm a better person. I think people like me better that way. Ever, everybody say that it's like, I'm sort of shy and timid, but man, when I have a couple of beers or a couple of glasses of wine, man, I'm better and people like that. People actually think that's true. In fact, we, we, we can do things that we would never do sober. In fact, uh, I heard a sort of funny story about a guy who went to a men's retreat at church years ago, and it was just guys. And But one of the talks at the men's retreat was about marriage, and the guy was challenging the guys to go home and be a better husband and maybe even become the romance husband you used to be now. And this one guy, that hit him. He's like, I'm not romantic anymore. I've been married like 20 years. I'm going to. You know, be romantic. Uh, so on Monday, right after retreat, he goes to work and he's coming home. His wife was a stay-at-home mom with four kids. And he comes home and he stops and gets flowers. He gets a card, writes, her, writes a little love note, and he's pulling in the driveway. And he thought, oh no, I'm not even going to pull in the garage and walk in the back. I'm going to go to the front door and ring the doorbell just like we used to date, right? So he's all excited. He goes out the front door, rings the doorbell. His wife comes to the door, opens the door. She's got a baby screaming in her arms. Her hair is all messed up. Food is all over her body. Am I right? That's what it's like when you got little toddlers in the house. She's just standing there looking at her husband like, what are you doing? And he goes, honey, these are, these are for you. I love you. I made you a card. I just want to say to you, I love you. And she starts crying. He's like, what, what are you crying about? And she goes, today has been the worst day Ever. She's got croup. The washing machine broke. Water's all over the laundry room. Tommy slipped and fell. Broke his arm. Just got back from the ER. We've been there all day. It's been the worst day ever. And then you, you come home drunk. <laughs> all right. That's, a, that, that's not a true story. That's a joke. Now, here's what I was thinking. How do you bring humor to a day on alcohol? I just did. All right. We laughed. I mean, I can't get up here and tell joke jerk. Drunk jokes, right? Although I did. Anyway, we got to laugh a little bit, but here's the thing. We drink to be somebody we aren't. That's what that sort of joke sort of illustrated, right? But here's the amazing thing. When it becomes something that we can't control, guess what? We're in trouble. And some of you know right now you're in trouble or you know somebody in trouble. You know, it's really interesting. If you go to go to the word of god and say okay what does god think of alcohol i think a lot of people in the church would say alcohol sin it's wrong god hates it no not really you go to the word of god and find out that uh alcohol's not bad god doesn't say it's bad just in moderation in fact i'll read you you know a couple of verses you go to um 1 Timothy 5, it says, stop drinking only water and use a little wine because of your stomach and your frequent illnesses. Actually recommends a little wine will be better for your stomach than water. How about Ecclesiastes 9, it says, go eat your food with gladness and drink your wine with a joyful heart, for God has already approved of what you do. Now, it's saying, can you have a glass of wine? Yeah. Can you have a bottle of beer? Yeah. What does the Bible say when it gets out of control? Well, I'll read it to you. You go into uh, Proverbs, a book of wisdom. You want some wisdom on alcohol? Here's a good one. Wine is a mocker and beer a brawler. Whoever is led astray by them is not wise. So what's he saying? I mean, you look at that, it's like wine is a mocker. Have you ever watched anybody have too much wine or too much beer and they start mocking other people? Anybody? Yeah. Have you ever done that? Hope not, but that's what happens. Have you ever seen beer lead to fights? Hey, uh, you ever been to a bar? <laughs> Right? Here, here's a better one. You ever watch reality TV? I don't, but I know you do. You know, I'm kidding. You ever watch reality TV? You see these fights break out and all you gotta do is rewind the tape and go, yeah, they start drinking at three and there's a fight at four. It just changes the way they go. Well, yeah, in the book of Proverbs says, that's not wise. Now what's going on here? He's starting to say, there's nothing wrong with a glass of wine, but when you start to have two or three, you're in trouble because it's gonna be excessive and you're gonna start to do things you would never do sober, right? Here, how about this? This is an interesting one. 1 Peter 4.3 says, For you have spent enough time in the past doing what pagans choose to do, living in debauchery, lust, drunkenness, orgies, carousing, and detestable idolatry. Now, what's Peter trying to tell us? Now, look at this. Pretty interesting. He's talking to who? People that believe in God or don't believe in God? People who believe in God. He's writing to a church, okay? So these are people who say, I believe Jesus is the Christ, that he is the Messiah. He died for my sins and he rose from the dead. That's the people he's writing to. They are believers. But he said, you used to be pagans. Now, I know that's a term we don't often use today. You're not going to walk into work you know, this week and say, hey, pagan, what's up? You don't use that. But the word back in that time meant what? A person that does not believe in God. They do not claim to believe in God and they're not gonna try and live their life the way God wants them to. They're a pagan, God means nothing to them. Here's what he's saying, you guys used to be them. You're not any longer, now you're followers of what was called the way, Christ. So you used to be like this, but you're not anymore. Here's his point. When you were a pagan and didn't believe in God, what was normal at your, your parties? Drunkenness, orgies, debauchery, Wasted time. He said, That makes sense if you don't believe in God. There's no rules, there's no standards. Do whatever you want. He says, But now your followers of Christ. It should be different. You see where I'm going with this? In other words, if a person walks in to a party of a bunch of hellraisers, they should expect hell to be going on and partying and drinking and drunkenness. If they walk into a small group or a Bible study, there should be a different feeling in regards to alcohol. That hit home to anybody? I've walked in some Bible study environments where I was like, wow, the way they're treating alcohol at this place is no different than my college dorm. I thought I thought we we're supposed to be different when it comes to alcohol. And I'm not saying there can't be any alcohol there, but it's interesting how people drink, drink, drink like it's no different than the world. And I thought, wow, that's Peter's point, is that we who claim to be followers of Christ should handle alcohol so different than those that don't, and trust me, they will notice. You'll probably get ripped for it. (laughs) You don't even drink, you don't drink to get drunk anymore. You'll probably get ripped for it, but trust me, when they have issues in their life, guess who they're gonna call up? The people that can handle their alcohol with moderation, not the people that live the same way they live. Here's another one, very interesting. Proverbs 23 says this, Do not gaze at wine when it is red, when it sparkles in the cup, when it goes down smoothly. In the end, it bites like a snake and poisons like a viper. Now, what's he saying here? It's really interesting. He says, wine, when you look at it, or beer, when you look at it, it's like, wow, it sparkles. It's like, I, I'd like to have one of those, right? And if you've ever been in, near a bar, Ian and I go to uh, Mexico every year for a little break, and we go to this all-inclusive resource. best thing about all-inclusive, it's already paid for. It's awesome. Anyway, so you go there. You guys know I'm a tightwad, right? So I love that. You put the little arm band on, you walk up, and I want a Coke, you get a Coke. It's free. Everything's free. you already paid for it. But anyway... I feel like it's free, so you go there. But here's what I've, I've actually, Ed and I've said this to each other because we don't go to bars. It's not something we've ever done in our life. But when you're down there and you walk by these bars, let me tell you, am I right? Have you ever looked at them? They're beautiful. The bottles are all lit up. The lights are on them. They have different colors of alcohol in them. I mean, I mean, this is sort of pretty, isn't it? Well, sorta. Of. I mean, they look a lot better than this. By the way, this isn't real. This is Coke and water, okay? Just so you know, we didn't do it. But, but, but am I right? You walk by and you're like, wow, I want to have one of those. You know, they're, 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 they're purple and they're blue and they're, it's, a, it's like a mother. And that's, that's his point. It looks sparkly, but it'll bite you like a snake if you're not careful. It'll, it'll poison you like a viper. By the way, you know what he's saying? Somebody took his line and wrote a song in the 70s about it. His line was, all that glitters is not gold. Anybody? Led Zeppelin. It's a great song. You want me to play it? I'll play it for you. It's called Stairway to Heaven. And he was saying the same thing, just because it's glitter. And you better be careful on this because it's not gold, even though you think it is. Same thing with alcohol. In other words, if I had anything to say to you tonight, it would be this. Be very, very careful when it comes to alcohol. Because here's the amazing thing. This is what's truly amazing. There are some people sitting here right now, all day it's been this way, that have a problem with alcohol and don't know it. Here's what I've realized, and trust me, I've studied this from seven years old on up because I had to. The last person usually to know they have a problem with alcohol is the person who has a problem with alcohol. My dad didn't even think he had a problem with it. My mom never thought she had a problem with it. And here's the other thing I've noticed. Everybody else knows, but they don't. And let me tell you, let me tell you this. If anybody at any time has ever once said to you, hey, dude, you have a problem. Hey, hey, girl, I think you might have a problem with alcohol. Can I just be real honest? You have a problem with alcohol. And if you disregard that or get angry or defensive about that, that just even proves it more. You have a problem. And this day is really important for you. Or maybe you live in a family or you know a close friend. It's really important for you to listen to what God's going to say today. And last week I showed you a video of Jack Wilson, our resident expert uh, uh, psychiatrist, used to be the head of uh, Oakland University psychology department, a good friend of mine, life coach. And I sat down with him for really about an hour and interviewed him. And most of our interview was on this topic, alcohol. And we edited it down to six minutes that I'm gonna show you. Listen to what Jack says. He is very wise and has a lot to add to our conversation about this. And as you watch Jack, uh, we're gonna receive our offering at this moment as well. I just think it's, it's sort of cool. We're going to hear from God, and we're going to give back to God at the same time. God's going to speak through Jack and give some wisdom. And again, listen closely, maybe even take some notes. But we get to give back as well. And let me say this. If you're new at Kensington or you're like a guest to us, you don't have to give. This is a Kensington moment for Kensington people to say, I believe in this church. I believe in the mission of this church. And so we give, and most of us give online, and it's a true blessing. So thank you for that. But also let God speak to you. Listen closely to what Jack has to say. Watch this. Let's take what you just said and apply it to, like, alcohol. Sure. When is that a problem?
5: Let's talk about predisposition first. Right. I think it's really, really important that people understand uh, that this isn't settled science, okay? But the trend line has been around for a very, very long time, uh, and and it influences my thinking to the level that I truly believe that a certain percentage of the population are physiologically predisposed uh, to developing addictions, whether it's a alcohol or marijuana or a controlled substance. Uh, we're physiologically predisposed, and the best way to figure out whether you're physiologically predisposed is to look at your family history. Mm-hmm. You know, take a look at that family tree you know, and see if there are people in your past uh, who uh, have had Problems with drinking or or whatever, because that used to be the term that was used. Uh, And if there is, then for you, drinking is something that you really should not be cavalier about. It's something you should really be paying some attention to. Because if you have a physiological predisposition, then you're going to move through uh, recreational, moderate drinking uh, to irresponsible drinking and addiction much more quickly than someone who doesn't have a physiological predisposition
3: now obviously somebody like me you know i look Mm -hmm. at my family tree and i have two alcoholic parents Mm -hmm. for decades i never even thought about it Mm -hmm. it's like oh i can drink a beer i can drink whatever it's no big deal you would have immediately said to me dude be very very careful with this exactly everybody should be careful but especially somebody
5: with a background like mine absolutely so what do i do uh, well, in your situation, uh, I would have I said to you that you need to be aware of the fact that becoming intoxicated is just not safe for you. Mm-hmm. If you were to drink even moderately, uh, then I would say there's a better than a 60% chance that you would have triggered mm-hmm. uh, your physiological predisposition. And we'd be talking about some kind of a recovery issue. And I've heard you say in the past the
3: analogy of uh, playing Russian roulette with predisposition. Talk about that.
5: Yeah, when we have a predisposition, um, the higher that predisposition is when we look at our family history. You know, both your parents have a substance abuse issue, then the likelihood that four out of, if there are five kids in the family, like my family, uh, the probability is that four out of those five kids are physiologically predisposed. Uh, and then if the grandparents have, a, you know, have an issue, and the aunts and the uncles. So the more people you have in your family tree uh, or the more uh, more culturally relevant it is for you uh, and you're playing Russian roulette and you're spinning the cylinder. Okay, If you don't have a physiological predisposition, yeah, you can probably develop alcoholism. It's not likely, but it's probably good. But let's say you have one bullet in the cylinder. But if all of those factors that I just described to you are there, then you've got five bullets um, in there and there's only six spots. Yeah. You know? So the higher the issue is there in terms of, of number of people, then we well, better be careful with this Russian roulette thing. What would you say to the person sitting out here
3: that says, I don't really have a problem with drinking? Maybe they do, maybe they don't, but they really honestly don't think they have a problem. How does a person know?
5: Well, one of the biggest issues in terms of the way you know is the feedback that you're getting from the people around you. Mm -hmm. You know, if you have people saying to you, uh, I think you should um, cut back on your drinking, well, pay attention to them. See what they're saying. Uh, If you're in a circumstance or situation where family members, colleagues, whatever, have said to you something about your drinking and you get angry about it, well, pay attention to what, to what, they're, what they're saying. You know? uh, if there's a circumstance or situation in which you feel guilty about your drinking, well, pay attention to that. Uh, and, uh, and if you're in a circumstance or a situation where at any point in time you've ever uh, had a hangover and you wake up the next morning and you, and you convince yourself that you need an eye-opener to get the day going, mm-hmm. what I just did was what's called the CAGE, C-A-G-E, Uh, And it's taught to physicians and and therapists uh, to get an introductory idea in terms of if you say yes to two of those four questions, then we need to have a chat about whether you're drinking irresponsibly or perhaps you're in a circumstance or situation where you've already what we call tipped over Mm -hmm. into addiction. Now walk through the cage again. I'd love to hear the C-A-J-G-E explained. Okay. Have you ever tried to cut back? So that's the C. That's the C. Have you ever been... Angry, you know, uh, when someone questioned your drinking. Have you ever felt guilty? That's the G about your drinking. And have you ever had an eye? What's called an eye opener. You know, a, a drink early in the day uh, to to help you to have fewer um, anxiety issues or or fewer symptoms of, of hangover. So that's the cage.
3: Talk about. I remember a decade ago or so when we talked about the alcohol. You talked about the 30-day sort of test. Mm -hmm. Talk about that.
5: Yeah, this is something that's kind of idiosyncratic to me uh, in that when someone says to me, well, how do I know if I have a drinking problem? My response is don't drink for 30 days and come back and talk to me. Mm -hmm. Let's talk about how it goes. And I found over the years that um, I've done that, you know, I don't know how many people. And um, it really is a very good predictor or indicator of what role alcohol uh, is is playing in their life if they just try to go, okay, 30 days, not going to drink. And for most folks that I've talked to, ah, it's easy to be a piece of cake, don't worry about it, you know, kind of thing. And occasionally it is. But if they asked me that question, see, it fits right in the cage thing. Mm-hmm. They asked me that question, that's telling me, well, this is worth taking another look at this. You know, so try it for 30 days and then let's talk. I'll tell you what, I would, uh, I would echo what Jack just said.
3: We did this, last time I remember doing a weekend on alcohol was at Adams High School, so that was maybe a decade ago and I actually interviewed Jack then and, and I, we, we sent out that challenge. Take 30 days, you don't think it's a problem? Take 30 days, don't have a drink. And I had guys come up to me and say, like, man, I have a problem with it, I'm gonna take that challenge. They came up a month later and said, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, I had no idea. I'd go to a party and it's like, where's, I, 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 couldn't be, I couldn't be myself, I needed a drink in my hand. I had no idea that it was that, that big a deal to me. You know, you know what's really interesting? When I was in college, drinking, partying, quarterback on the football team, going to these parties, being the man, right? I knew then, even though I wouldn't admit it to myself, but I knew then I wouldn't even follow Christ yet. I knew then I had traits in me that were scary. I remember a buddy on the football team said, dude, you never drink a beer. You drink six. Seems like you always want to get drunk. And I'm like, sounds like he's talking about my dad. It was there. And Jack just explained it. Yeah, you have five bullets in that cylinder. You're predisposed. And I've never had anybody tell me that. So you talk about the wisdom right there. It's like you of all people should be very, very careful with this. Thing. You know, I said last week, and it's so true, I want to see if anybody remembers this, I said every time you and I are tempted in an area of our craving, in an area of our temptation, you know, that that dark area that's like our pet sin, nobody knows about, it's our little secret, but it's the area we're weak in, whether it's alcohol, substance, it could be approval, it could be body image we're talking about next week, who knows what it is, it could be sex, it could be pornography, any of those areas that it's like, I, I, I feel this this, I can't say no to this at times, in a weak moment. I said this last week. I said, whenever you're tempted in any of those areas, we should hit the pause button or the stop button, step back and remember something. Anybody remember this? There's a lot at stake right here. I'm I'm actually quoting Andy Stanley in this area. There's a lot at stake. I said, there are three things at least at stake. They all start with the letter F. Anybody remember? These are good F words, okay? (laughs) Your family's at stake. If you give in to this crave, even in a quiet moment when you think nobody's ever going to know, it's just me, it's me alone, it's never, I'm never going to do this again, but nobody will ever know. Trust me on this. You should stop and go, well, I could lose my family on this. My dad, it's gone. The drinks are gone, thank God. My dad lost his family, drinking often in the dark or in a hotel room on a layover all by himself. So that's one big area you could lose. What's another one? You could lose your faith. Like, how do you lose your faith? You know what happened to my dad? I watched this. My dad walked away from God. you know why? He thought God punished him and killed my youngest brother because of his adultery and alcohol. And he lost his faith. God didn't do that. He blamed God. He he came back to God later in his life, but I think he lost his faith and it really all started with a craving he couldn't say no, no to. Another thing I said, you might lose is your future. Your whole future is a whole different thing and your legacy now is completely changed. All because of this craving. And maybe today it's in the area of alcohol or substance. You know, it's really interesting. We didn't have time to really put in the video that, that Jack said so many things. One of the things he said, I thought was very interesting. He said, do you know why the drinking age is 21? It's not a moral standard, like we're going to wait till they're 21. It's a phys- physical and physiological standard. He said the brain in a person is not fully formed till around age 21. In other words, a 12-year-old or a 14-year-old or even an 18-year-old doesn't process correctly. Their impulse part of their brain overwhelms their reasoning part. They can't keep the reasoning to think clearly until about age 21. So that's why they set the drinking limit at 21. Do you realize this? And probably you know this, you've studied any of this. If a kid starts smoking cigarettes at 12, he'll be 80% addicted by the time he's an adult because he started at such a young age. Same thing with alcohol. And then Jack said to me, said this, he goes, do you, know where, do you know what the average age for a kid starting to drink in the United States is? Anyone want to take a guess? 12 years old. First exposure to alcohol. And then he said, do you know where they get that alcohol? Uh, their parents' house in their liquor cabinet. Think about that. Parents. Can I just be honest with you? Think about this. If you've got 10-year-olds, 8-year-olds, 12-year-olds, 15-year-olds in your home and you've got liquor there and they can get it when you're gone, trust me, they probably will. And guess what? They're not going to listen to what you say about alcohol. Jack made this very clear, too. They're going to watch what you do with alcohol and copy it. And I sit with parents all the time, I can't believe my kid's drinking. I just want to look at him and go, Whoa, you're drinking. He wants to be like you, and there's no difference. Like, think this through. It's like taking a gun with bullets in it, landing on the coffee table, and say, see you later, kids. I'll be back tomorrow. You don't think they're going to pick that thing up and see what's going on? Yeah, it's just craziness to think how we handle this area in our culture. It's everywhere all the time. And you're a weirdo if you don't get drunk like everybody else is. And so for, for many of us, we've got to think really hard about that. Here's, here's what some of you did. When I read that verse about it, it says, wine is a mocker and beer is a brawl. Some of you went, Wow, so that means I can have a gin and tonic? That's not in the Bible anywhere. <laughs> okay, you get the idea, right? It's anti-alcohol, an apple teeny or whatever they call those things. I'm, I'm kidding. I don't know what they are. I don't know what's in any drinks. I've, I've just decided early in my life I've got to stay away from that because uh, I'm predisposed. And it's like something I can't mess around with. But here's what I would do. I've got, I've got like four minutes to do this, and I can do this in four minutes. I'm going to give you two steps to win. Some of you need this for yourself. Some of you need this for somebody else. But this alcohol thing affects all of us. So here's two steps. The first one is this. You've got to admit to somebody you need help. If you're sitting here listening to this, you're like, man, this is hitting really close. I don't even want to look around because this is really close. I'm telling you right now, you've got to admit to somebody. I mean a person. Not God. That's the next step. And I'm doing them backwards. The first step should be the, the last thing I'm going to say. But let me start here. You've got to tell somebody, admit to somebody you need help. And I mean another person, your spouse or a friend, your kids. I don't know who it is. And by, by the way, don't do this. Don't rush up here and tell me after the service. That happens all the time. It's like, I'm not going to be able to walk with you out of here. I don't know you. You feel good. I, I went up and told one of the leaders of my church, now I feel good. No, no, no. I'm saying you tell somebody because here's the thing. When you tell a human being, guess what happens? And some of you know this. The minute you take something that's only in the dark, something you struggle with alone, and it's just a dark and nobody even knows, but then you speak it out into the light, you speak it out into another person. I see some people shaking their heads already. You know what happens? It starts to lose its grip on you. Right then, it's like, oh my gosh. It starts to, you start to win in this area. James, in the book of James, says this. Don't confess your sin to God, although it's in the Bible. It says, confess your sin to one another so that you may be healed, What's healing mean there? You begin to heal the second you speak it to a brother or a sister. Do you understand that? It's like oh, the second we do that, boom, we're held accountable. Because here's the thing we do. We play games with God. Here's how it here's how we go. I'm gonna confess this sin to God and He will forgive me. And by the way, He does. Jesus' blood died for that, and so he forgives you. But here's the thing. We play this game. Now it's just me and God, and only God knows, and nobody else knows. Well, guess what? The next time you're in a weak moment, and you give in again, you go right back to God. God, it's just you and me. Okay, I'm forgiven. Good. I'm never going to do this again. Okay, okay, we go. And then you never tell anybody you're never going to win. Anybody know what I'm talking about? You're never going to win. The second you tell somebody, a human being, you admit to them, I need help, you get help. think about it. Do you know why we had Shar Kelly up here talking about what's out in the lobby right now? Small groups. Do you know why they're in the lobby right now? Because the best thing some of you will ever do tonight is not listen to me, is when the service ends walk out there and say, I got to get in a men's group. There's men's groups out there. There's women's groups out there. There's marriage groups out there. There's divorce groups out there. There's finance groups out there. There's There's a group for people that like animals. I don't know. There's everything out there. There's there's a way for you to connect with some people because some of you are sitting right here going, I don't know anybody. I don't know who I would tell. So I would tell you, no, you'll know somebody in six weeks if you join a group. And I know it's scary. It's like, I'm not going to go to a group. Trust me, in six weeks or maybe three weeks, this big church where you think you're going to be changed on a weekend, a weekend is not going to change you. Hopefully it'll help. But a small group where you start to do life with other people is literally going to change your life, may save your life. My dad had nobody. He told nobody. It was like the Wilson family secret. Nobody knew. That's what happens when you live in secret and you aren't willing to admit, I need help. And by the way, probably one of the best ministries of this church meets here on Tuesday nights. It's called Celebrate Recovery. It's for people that need to walk in a room and say, I'm struggling with alcohol. And here's what you find. Yeah, me too. Come here, let's talk. And they start doing life together. It meets right over there on Tuesday nights and most people are scared to death to ever walk in there. And I'm telling you, they're the most honest, safe people in the whole church, because they're not playing games anymore. There's no mask in that, right? It's like, I need help, and I'm not afraid to say it, even though I'm afraid to speak it out loud. But the second they do, they find not judgment, but mercy and strength in numbers as people. And I'm telling you, best thing you do is go to that table out there and say, okay, tell me where to meet you Tuesday night. I'll be there, and your life will begin to change. That's, a, that's the second thing you need to do. The first thing you need to do is, is admit to God you're powerless without him. First, you admit it to God, you start there and you get on your knees, and I mean on your knees, like my dad eventually did, like I've done and said, I don't have the strength to win over this crave. And God says, you're right, I do. The apostle Paul wrote it this way, when I'm weak, then I'm strong. You don't get God's strength until you're willing to admit you're weak. And the second you do, do you hear what I'm saying? The second you surrender your life to Jesus, And you say, I am powerless without you. God says, not anymore, you're not. I will give you the power, the literal resurrection power of God that raised Jesus from the dead is yours and mine. And here's the thing. You can walk out of here tonight, not a victim anymore, but a victor. We're actually gonna sing that. You can walk out of here, a victor. Seriously, it is, and it is just a, a, a lyric in a song. It's like, if you surrender, some of you, tonight's your moment. I'm telling you right now, tonight's your moment to say, I have been battling this all on my own and I'm so weak. And God says, I know you're weak, but strength is found when you admit your weakness and I will give you power. Here's what you get. You get the Holy Spirit power of God. Who rose Jesus from the dead lives in you. Think about this. I go from somebody that's a victim. I can't control this. I give into this. I'm like an orphan. I'm, I'm I'm poor. I'm powerless. And God says, "Not anymore. You now have me. You are my son. You are my daughter. You have the power of God living right here. You can have victory over the biggest craving in your life. How do I know this? I've got it. And I'm not saying I have it every second. It's when I." make bad choices. I make bad choices, but I have the literal power of God in my life. And some of you are like, I've never experienced that tonight your night. I'm going to pray for you right now. I'm going to invite you to prayer. Prayer says, I'm giving my life to God. And we're going to sing a song later. It says this, chains fall, fear bows. How does that happen at the name of Jesus? Doesn't happen in your name. Doesn't happen in my name. Your addiction is not afraid of you, but your addiction is afraid of the power of Jesus. And if you don't have that, good luck. But if you have that, victory is yours and it starts right here. So let me pray. And if this is your night, I would say, why would you wait till tomorrow? Start victory right here, right now by surrendering your life. And then we're gonna stand and sing as a community. What's that mean? Power in the number of people saying, we believe in that God who makes us a victor, not a victim. Jesus Christ, I pray that one or two or a hundred right now, This would be their moment to say, I'm in. I surrender everything. I surrender this crave for alcohol or substance or anything. God, I can't do it without you. And I've tried to do it. I've never really truly admitted. I am powerless without you. So Jesus, I believe you are the answer. You are the one. You forgive me on the cross with your blood. And you give me now power through your spirit living in me to live a brand new, victorious and powerful life. God, I know I believe it starts right here right now. God, may you help me to take that first step and Lord, help me as I get up and walk back to my life to take the next step to connect with another person or a group of people to hold me accountable to see you heal me. We begin that right now, right here in Jesus' name.
6: That Dave went through with us. He goes, chains fall, fear bows. Here now, Jesus, you are everything. Lives are healed. Hope found. And here now, Jesus, you are.
3: digital device, and we're going to talk about the craving that this can take over our lives. One of the blessings of these devices is it's got the Word of God on it. And we just sang Philippians 2. It says, Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, and at the name of Jesus every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that he is Lord. What we just sang was not just a lyric of a nice song. It was like, oh my gosh, we sang the name that gives you the power to overcome your crave. You understand that? And I tell you what, even as I was singing, I was thinking, man, we fill our lives so much during the week with horizontal music that sort of glorifies the things we're trying to control in our life. I'm telling you, the songs we just sang, download these, get them on your device, and start listening to what I call vertical music. If you don't know what Hillsong is, or Bethel, or Passion, or Elevation Worship, or the song we just sang is by Mosaic Worship... Just remember those words. Go download it. Start putting it in there. I'll tell you, there's power in the name of Jesus, and there's power when we go vertical. There's something that comes back that gives us power that we don't have that he has to win over the cravings of our life. And by the way, if you're like me and you can't make it till Sunday... We have something just for you. It's called, we're going to meet in the middle of the week. We call it Midweek. How do you like that for a name? Midweek. Wednesday night, 7 o'clock. We sing those kind of songs. We're studying the book I just read from, Philippians. Right now we just started. We're in the third week of studying what does this book have in it for us. So come back 7 o'clock Sunday, or Wednesday night. And then next weekend, we'll see you as well. And right now, as you walk out, connect at one of those tables, and we'll see you Wednesday night. All right? God bless. Have a great week. See you.